fam welcome back for the first time in about four and a half years we have a world cup preview episode for you here i am nathan strauss i am joined by two men who have not had to pull out of this world cup due to an unfortunate injury it is caleb rhodes and nick Cavinden. <laughs> wow <laughs> yes we are all met once again it feels good to be back on the pod I'm excited. This is, yeah, this is very, as Nathan said, obviously the World Cup comes in cycles and these podcasts come in cycles and this is um, very special. And we're going to talk about, you know, the circumstances surrounding this World Cup, but I think international football is some of the most fun that we get to have talking about the beautiful game. So I am, I am eagerly anticipating this one. Wait, I feel very misled. I thought we were talking about the FA Cup today and, and Darby beating Torquay. Hartlepool drawing with Solihull Moors, but I guess the World Cup will do. Uh, yeah, that's part two. Part 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 two. Yeah, is, part two. We'll have an second in-depth, round in-depth, FA Cup games. In depth breakdown <laughs> of Gillingham uh, and AFC filed. Um, but yeah, you can stay tuned for that one. That yeah, that one you can. That one will be our like pay per view. So like, if you really want to hear the analysis on that, you'll have to pay. So yeah, obviously, uh, the World Cup is now just five days or so away from getting underway. Um, and it's obviously weird for us to be saying that in the middle of November, because obviously the World Cup is meant to be a summer spectacle. And I personally am not a fan of the timing of this event, but that has already been spoken about at length. And That's the part you're not a... <laughs> Sorry, super um, happy with. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. To be to be to be clear, though, the timing is also heavily related to the locale, um, which is you know another issue in and of itself. But um, we may as well start by talking about uh, the soccer before we talk about the externalities, if you will. Uh, and I figure, what better way to do that than going group by group? Because that tends to be a fun way to view the well the group stage. Uh, and without further ado, let's go to Group A in traditional host nation fashion. Qatar gets drawn into one of the weakest groups possible. Um, it is Ecuador, the Netherlands, Qatar, and a Sadio Mane list potentially. Senegal in Group A. He's Twitter. in the squad. He's in the squad. Uh, he's he missing the first fit. game. Yeah, he might not be mm-hmm. fit until midway through the group stage. Fortunately for Senegal, the competition they face outside of uh, Louis van Gaal's Dutch side not exactly fierce. Yeah, no, I mean, Qatar really getting drawn into one of the easiest groups. I, there was that, I think it was a like 538 article that, that demonstrated that the host always gets a weak group. Have they done that analysis for this group yet? But I'm like, not sure, but I mean, it passes the eye 20, test. In 2018, um, there was that hilarious group. Um, it, it, uh, it was group A again, with uh hang on with it was uruguay russia saudi arabia and egypt which is just i believe it was actually the worst group of all time in world cup history by uh by like their elo rankings so yeah there it is empirical is the point yeah so i mean i think 
in this group, it really is probably Netherlands to lose, followed by Senegal, depending on you know how much of Mane they get um, in the group stage. The Netherlands team, though, does have, you know, I think a few question marks. Um, none of their goalies really convince me all that much. Um, there's only eight caps between the three goalies that have been called up. All of them play in the Dutch league. But it has, you know, the the big names. And I think for them, Memphis Depay being in the squad is really huge. Um, he has not played for over a month now, and so he's just going to be fit enough, I think, for the World Cup. Um, but he is, in many ways, um, their their talisman. Um, I also think it's fun that uh, Xavi Simmons um, was able to make it into the squad. The former Barcelona player um, who he's went to been, PSG, dirty, um, yeah, hasn't PSG. impressed a ton in PSG, but then went to you know Eindhoven, where he and Gakpo have been a very sort of dynamic duo. So I think this is, um, you know, the best that the Dutch squad has looked. I am a little sad, though, that Sven Botten then um, missed out on the team because I think he's been in really good form in that sort of imperious Newcastle defense. But I- I'm giving this one to to the Aranje. Um, not a surprise there. Yeah, no, no disagreements from me here. I think the Netherlands come in with, one of the best coaches in the entire tournament, Louis van Gaal, almost 10 years on from taking the Dutch to a semifinal in Brazil in 2014. He's back once again with the Netherlands national team after overcoming some you know, personal health issues to be here. So we wish him well. And I think it's, it's amazing that he's going to get a chance to coach at another World Cup. And he is someone who even you know this far in his career post-retirement, shall we say, considering he had retired already and now is back coaching again, is always looking to innovate with his formations, always looking to sort of bring new tactics into the fore, try new things. He's someone who's not afraid to experiment. And so I'm eager to see the way that the Dutch deploy uh, in this group. But yeah, I think if Mane can be fit and play some games, some minutes for Senegal, they will be second. Uh, Qatar come into this tournament being the 50th ranked team in the FIFA rankings, the 44th ranked team in the FIFA rankings is Ecuador. So yeah, this is definitely not the strongest group. And I definitely think Senegal and the Netherlands go through here. Yeah. I mean, I think really it'll just come down to the winner of the Senegal and Netherlands game to determine who goes through on top and who ends up, uh, you know, having to face potentially a stronger team because it's going to be interesting for Senegal in particular, because Mane carries a lot of the way. And in many ways, Sadio Mane is like the ideal player for a, national team in the world cup because he is so capable of taking over games but at the same time um he is not someone who necessarily depends on having a lot of possession and we know that in international soccer set piece goals are scored more frequently um we know that it's generally a slightly less fluid form and obviously when senegal played at afcon we saw they uh are are very capable defensively and obviously they're back four or five with edward mendy and net uh, Koulibaly and Diallo as center backs, and then probably Checo Kuyate as well. That's like a very formidable international, you know, back line with Ismail Jacobs, who's been unreal for Monaco this year um, at right back. So it's going to be interesting to see where their goals come from if Mane can't play. Like, do we think Ismail Sar is going to step into that role, um, or someone like Bamba Dang or or Bulai Dia? But 
by and large, it's going to be a race between those two teams with all due respect to, to Ecuador. Um, yeah. You know, they it, are it definitely the weakest team from Common Bowl. So, you know, it right. is what it is. It definitely makes sense that they made, you know, Qatar versus Ecuador the first game because that's like the opening game of the tournament because that's <laughs> like the South one Africa, that Mexico back in uh... yeah it's it's the one that you <laughs> and, know uh, Russia has... Saudi Arabia from 2018 oh, right. that game sucks. has the best chance of winning I do wonder though you know what's going to be a bigger motivator being the host team um, or trying to beat the crap out of the host team because of egregious human rights violations <laughs> um, but only <laughs> only only time will tell um, on that particular point but maybe we move on to group b um where there's a lot of intrigue both on the field and off the field um (laughs) as well england iran the u.s in wales um honestly i really don't know how this group is gonna go for for many reasons into a decision though so um oh i mean i think england still still win the group um and i actually think and maybe this is the first spicy take of the day. I think the U.S. is going to miss out. I think Iran go through. Um, well, I think the Iran question is quite interesting because up until yesterday, they had delayed releasing their squad due to the fact that the Iranian government and the Iranian FA didn't want to include players who agreed with um, you know, the movement that's going on in Iran around the supporting of women. And so there's players like Sardar Azmoun, who have been vocally supportive of that movement, who could potentially miss out entirely on the squad. So a lot of Iran's best players have been vocal supporters of this really progressive and incredible movement, I should say. But it seems like that could unfortunately cost them their place in the World Cup. I don't know if the Iran squad ha- has been fully released yet or confirmed, but that's definitely like a huge cog that's still up in the air when it comes to discussing yeah. this group. And Azmoun is, is far and away the, the best goal scorer in this Iran side. Uh, you know, and he gets good support from Saman Horos and Alireza Yachan Baksh. And again, this Iranian team under Carlos Caras has always been a tricky team in World Cups. Like every single year, they end up playing very hard. I think they were in it was they were in the group with Spain and Morocco, right, a couple of years ago. Um, and they're a really big team and they're a very physical team. And Osmoon, who is um, both tall and skilled and also in the prime of his career, would be a, I mean, his inclusion in the squad is probably the difference in my mind between Iran qualifying over the United States and not. Yeah, I mean, um, he he they they released the squad. Um, yeah, I was about to say, I have news. He's in. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so and so I I think right. It, it really goes both ways because I think there will be players on the Iran team that want to use this opportunity to make you know a statement against their own you know country, much as they did in a friendly a month ago, right, where they sort of didn't sing the national anthem, right, and wore their, you know, training tops um, over their their jerseys. So I think they do have a really, really strong team, and they're definitely, you know, highly motivated. But the U.S. is um, as well, and maybe we can get into that <laughs> too. So Nathan, give give us, you know, your top-line take on the, on the U.S. team. You know, some big names were left out, a very inform you know, Ricardo Pepe for Honigan, um, Pifok, who's cooled off slightly for Union, as has <laughs> Union in general. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, it's unfortunate. But um, so can't yeah, what do you think? Bundesliga watch on this podcast. Uh, yeah, so I I was really frustrated with the lack of inclusion of Siabachu over 
Um, I mean, more more frustrated than that, than than the exclusion of Pepe, who I think is, you know, at the end of the day, putting up, you know, he had a couple of good games for Ronigan in the last month or so. Um, I don't totally understand the inclusion of a player like Christian Roldan um, or Jordan Morris, who I just don't think is dynamic enough to really make a difference in the same way that a a, a Pefok might be able to, or even a Ricardo Pepe in like a late game, you need a headed goal and you're going to throw crosses into the box. Um, you know, Josh Sargent has really picked up his club form in the last six weeks uh, for Norwich. I think he's the second top scorer right now in the championship with over 10 goals. So that's going to be interesting. But again, I think this is sort of a no-lose scenario for the United States in a couple of ways. Um, because either they qualify from this group and that sort of meets their expectations and they go in with a fighting chance against, um, you know, whoever they would face in the next round. Or they don't, and Burhalter, who I'm, again, less than less than sold on being the guy, he gets sacked, and they have a chance to rebuild again without the worries of qualification for 2026. So I'm a little bit more sanguine about, like, about the potential for this team. Um, I think that the Christian Pulisic hype has been again, heavily, heavily tapered in the last two or three months. Um, because when you get dropped by multiple managers in a row, it begins to become a personal issue rather than, um, you know, a clash with with one particular person. So I am not entirely sold on the U.S. making it out of this group. But at the same time, this England team, which which clearly has the most talent on paper of this group, they weren't exactly playing beautiful soccer in the last nine months or so. No, I think you guys are right. Uh, the Ricardo Pepe argument is quite interesting because he's obviously the player who launched the USMNT into the World Cup final stage, and he was a, a big part of the marketing. You know, Nike centered a lot of their World Cup USA campaign around Ricardo Pepe. And so the USMNT do owe a big debt of gratitude to Ricardo Pepe, and for him not to be in the squad, I think is definitely a disappointment for him. And I mean, not necessarily a huge morale booster, but certainly surprise or morale negator, but certainly surprising. Um, yeah, I'm not crazy about this USMNT. I don't know exactly where the goals are coming from. I think Jordan Pifak, considering he has been, I think, the most prolific forward of any U.S. player in you know the top five leagues or playing at a high level, he probably should have been included in the squad I guess just he he just isn't tactically a player that Burhalter drives with especially um the fervor for Gareth Southgate right now is certainly not high um I think he was incredibly loyal with some of his selections almost to a fault Calvin Phillips has played a total of 15 Premier League minutes this season with Manchester City uh, Jordan Henderson, we have talked about you know, his form on this podcast in the past six or so months. I think the inclusion of Ben White is a very smart inclusion, someone who's quite versatile. Uh, Callum Wilson is quite a good inclusion as someone who can come off the bench, be dynamic, and score goals. I think in international football, having someone who can score goals off of set pieces is of paramount importance. So I'm a little surprised that Ivan Tony didn't make the squad, and I think he put a period on that conversation uh, following his you know performance against City at the weekend, I am just I think this group every <laughs> every team 
in this group has a lot of questions. And I think Wales, you know, is Rob Page, um, you know, a good enough coach to propel this team to the out rounds of a World Cup? What form is Gareth Bale coming into? You know, he obviously scored that incredible uh, leveler in the MLS Cup final, but has he played enough football for LAFC to get himself up to speed? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions for everyone. I hmm. Who goes through, Nick? Pick your two. And then, Caleb, you're up next. Okay. I think England and Iran go through. Caleb? Yeah, I agree. I think England still have too much quality. I do have some questions about, you know, what happens if Luke Shaw gets injured because he's their only <laughs> left back. But I guess, you know, Kieran Trippier could could fill in there. I'm not sure they have as much, you know, momentum as they did, obviously, through the Euros um, and reaching the final there. But they just have so much more quality than every other team. Iran, I think, will will weirdly kind of like coalesce um, and and be inspired by you know the inspiring movement in their country and the U.S. squad. I'm just not totally convinced by, even though Berhalter did make some big big calls, like leaving Zach Steffen out entirely was crazy. It was nice to see, you know, Joe Scally um, in the squad. Good to see Tim Ream, who's been great for Fulham, kind of get brought back into the fold. So I, I think I just don't know where that team's going. And then Wales. In an international tournament, the fact that Gareth Bale isn't as good in open play perhaps matters less because he can still hit a free kick or two. Well, he can't really play a full night but, anymore, though. Right, and, and you know, he didn't really light MLS alight. Um, he, he had his big moment, right? And I think he's still clutch, which he's always been. Um, but I'm not sure Wales are going to have enough clutch moments um, for him to really make a difference. So I hope the U.S. goes through, but I, I have a sneaking feeling that this will be, you know, the end of, of Berhalter, which really means that my new sweatshirt um, <laughs> isn't going to get as much use. <laughs> no, well, you'll have um, four years. You'll get four years of wear out of it at the very least. Um, I am going true. to I am going to now just be contrarian. And I'm going to say that the United States and Iran go through and that England suffer um, from a lack of goals and like Harry Kane just can't pull them over the line. So that's going to be my crazy how much of this all hinges show. on like Reese James. I know. It's well, so no, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's kind of wild too, because this group is particularly competitive and, um, you know, Wales being that last team in is a testament to just how strong this group is. Like you could realistically take any of the four teams from this group and throw them into group a, and they would be the favorites in that group. Uh, maybe not Wales being the favorites, but they would definitely be in contention to go through. So uh, with that said, on to Group C, which, again, looks pretty fun. Argentina, Mexico, Poland, and Al-Halal, I mean, Saudi Arabia, uh, who are one of two nations to uh, bring exclusively a domestic-based team. Um, but Argentina come into this uh, tournament as the betting favorites now. Um, they are even in the betting market with Brazil at about 3-1 to one odds. And their toughest opponent, probably Mexico. But don't, again, count out a team like Poland who uh, have the benefit of probably the best goal scorer uh, not named Karim Benzema in the world right now. So three teams realistically battling for two spots in this one. Right. I'm not sure Argentina have, you know, the most talented squad, you know, from front to back. 
but there is no team i think that just has better vibes right now um i think you know their triumph in the copa america last year was huge um i think messi has really grown into his role as a leader in this squad probably you know in the most comfortable position he's ever had because now you know there aren't all these question marks about you know him getting so close and Higuain deciding to torture him over and over again um so I think they are set up to do really, really well. He was asked, you know, who he thought the favorites were. And he said, you know, Brazil and France really to deflect pressure from this team. Um, but there's no squad in this tournament with better chemistry right now. I feel a little sad that, you know, Angel Correa just missed out on the squad. Um, but I think it really has, I, I think it makes sense why they're the betting favorites for this tournament. And I see no reason why they can't go you know, three wins for three in this group. I am in complete agreement. I think Argentina sweep this group. I can't see anyone in this group giving them particular trouble. And I do agree, Caleb, that there are some holes in this Argentina squad. However, I think for the first time in any con- or any, any competition that we've talked about, this is definitely the best the Argentina squad has looked depth-wise. Um, I think there's maybe, you know, a question at center back if it's going to be like a Juan Foyth, um, Otamendi partnership potentially, but even still, or Lisandro Martinez comes in and he's been in excellent form with Manchester United. Um, but there's so many tools that uh, uh, Argentina can play with here from Enzo Fernandez, who has broken into the European scene this season, Alexis McAllister, who has been in exquisite form for Brighton, uh, Dybala. Finding, finally getting to shine on a, a world stage with the nation of Argentina. And then obviously, you know, Messi and friends, his longtime cohorts <laughs> in Di Maria and Lautaro Martinez, who I think he obviously enjoys playing with. And Julian Alvarez, I think, is going to be a huge X factor for this team too. He's someone who has made a difference every time he stepped on the pitch for Manchester City and is someone who has been prolific for the past three or so seasons for River Plate, scoring countless goals. So I think there's a lot of weapons to be played with from this Argentina team. Otherwise, I think Mexico are quite an interesting team just because I don't quite know what Martino is doing with the squad. He's left players like Carlos Vela, Chicharito, you know, like a lot of the familiar names home for this tournament. So it's going to be kind of like a new, new look Mexico somewhat. And obviously Raul Jimenez is still a bit injured coming into this tournament. And so I don't quite know where the goals are coming from there, but I think those are still the two teams that I favor to go through. I'm, I'm not sure Poland and Saudi Arabia quite have it, even though Poland obviously have uh, the ever-dangerous Robert Lewandowski. And don't forget the super Polish Matty Cash uh, at right back. But I actually think <laughs> the that... The most act- Polish. <laughs> yeah, I actually think that Argentina and Poland go through. I, this is actually the weakest Mexico team that I, don't, I think any of us have seen in our life. And I think this is going to be the end for Tata Martino, who um, has outlived the life of most Mexico managers at this point. Um, they're notoriously notoriously quick on the trigger. Um, but this is obviously going to end up as the last international tournament for, um, guys like Andres Guardado, who I think this is his fourth world cup. Um, and obviously Memo Ochoa, who becomes magically the best goalie in the world once every four years. Uh, he, you know, they have been such backbones for this team for a long time. And even guys like, uh, Hector Moreno and Hector Herrera, who have been a part of multiple world cups, um, will be will be called upon but 
you know, Raul Jimenez hasn't played really in four months or three months. Um, and a lot of their young talent that was supposed to be rounding into form for this World Cup, um, you know, obviously you're, you're Chucky Lozano, who's now 27. But like the guys like Lainez, remember when, when Diego Lainez was going to be like the next big thing? They haven't totally panned out. And so I think this is a team that um, when it comes to scoring goals has a lot to be desired. Uh, and I just think Herving Lozano is going to be asked to carry a lot of the weight uh, for this team. I just don't see them going through. Uh, where does ahead of where does Lainez play? Now? Uh, I was, know he, he was at Betis. Right. I'm pretty sure. Is he in the Portuguese league now? I'll look it up. Um, because the fact that none of us know off the top of our head means that. Um, well, yeah, he's always been yeah, he like. Plays for Braga. He plays for Braga. On loan, um, I presume. On loan from, yeah. uh, from Betis. So. But he's, what, 22 now or something Yeah, like he's 22. That? So Yeah, um, and no. he, he joined Betis as like a 19-year-old, and he just hasn't really been yeah, able. Yeah, well, he chose Betis over Ajax. I'm, I think it's safe to say that that was probably not the best right. for his development. Um, I, I agree with you, though, Nathan. I think Poland have a better shot than Mexico. I think Tata Martino has, as you said, you know, it's really been surprising he's been able to hold on this long, considering the performances really haven't been there, and he's lost to the U.S., you know, more often than not. Um, I think this Poland team, though, has, you know, their best players are better than Mexico's best players, right? Even if Mexico might have a better team. Um, like, Piotr Zielinski has been, you know, been so imperious good. for Napoli this year in center midfield. And then, you know, a front two of, you know, Lewandowski and Milik um, is pretty good so i also am going to go argentina and then and then poland um on this one should we move on to to group d i think everyone gave their predictions for group c right yeah yeah group i find group d to be fascinating because if you guys cast your minds back to 2018 group c in the world cup in russia was france denmark australia and peru and in this group, we obviously have the same configuration, except swap out Peru for Tunisia. So there, of all of the groups in this World Cup, this one has 75% of the remaining continuity coming in from 2018. And just like uh, in 2018, I think France and Denmark are going to go through first and second. However, I think there is a huge conversation to be had about how many <laughs> injuries France are carrying going into this team they're not going to have going into this uh, tournament excuse me they're not going to have anything resembling their first choice midfield that they had in euro 2020 ngolo kante paul pogba are both not fit for this tournament christopher Nkunku has limped off um with uh from france training today with an injury obviously chuamani and kamavinga have played huge parts with real madrid this season, but are they prepared to take the full brunt uh, for this French team, particularly in this uh, double pivot that they like to play in a 3-4-1-2? And it's going to ask a lot of Antoine Griezmann and Kylian Mbappe to be the leaders of this team and to pick up the the, the brunt of the creative drive that they're not going to get from players like Nkunku and Pogba, who would have been you know the creative forces going forward. Obviously, old man Giroud, is still floating in and around um, Hugo Lloris. So there are, there's definitely a lot of senior leadership still for the French national team, but a lot, a lot, a lot of new faces. 
to incorporate, including the likes of Ibrahim Kanate, who is going to be playing in his first international tournament at the back for France. A lot of questions, I think, but I still think this French team get through on top of the group. Yeah, I think France would have liked more continuity with you know the 2018 team than they're able to get here, especially in that center midfield position. Um, and then you know the defense also looks fairly different too. Obviously, Umtiti is you know way far away um, from you know the French squad and, and even sort of regular football at Lecce right now. And you know Kanate, Kunde, Saliba, Upamakano, these are all people that were not in the squad you know four years ago, or in most cases you know even at you know the Euros last year. They've brought in you know uh, Axel De Sassi or Desai, um, for Monaco, who's never had a cap before to replace, I think, Kimpembe um, in the team. I'm a little surprised that, you know, neither Dina nor Mendy get sort of the pick. He went with both Hernandez's over them. But I think this France team, I, I'm not totally sure how far it can go. And I think it really will really hinge on you know, the double pivot and midfield. And I, I don't think that they're going to go with Kamavinga. I think they're going to go with um, Genduzi um, and Chumaini. That's that's my understanding. Um, <laughs> but this team is just so combustible, though. And like we've already we've already talked absolutely. before about like, yeah, all of the various like off pitch drama and how France seems to get uh, into these moods like a werewolf during a full moon, like once every <laughs> four years or, or eight years. And it seems like they're due, you know, to a certain extent. Well, I but think... they already had it at the Euro. Right. The question is, can like Pogba and, you know, Rabio's parents still get into a fight in the stands despite Pogba not right. being there I, for like, like the well, next, yeah, the next so it's the, the Pogmentary or something like that. The, like they need the, that. The question is like with, with their, the vacuum of leadership that Pogba leaves, you know, is Kylian Mbappe going to kind of swoop in and make this the Kylian Mbappe show? And is that going to become... You know, a headache for Didier Deschamps, who I think was having to deal with the Kylian Mbappe show a lot this fall. And is that going to carry over into the World Cup? I, I think Deschamps can handle it. He's definitely been the best French manager in terms of navigating <laughs> classic French drama. But is this going to be, you know, the, the, the tilting point? Yeah, so I think, so weirdly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb again. And I'm going to say that Denmark actually go through ahead of France in this group. But that France end up making it to the semis at the very least. Uh, I think it'll take a couple of games for them to gel. They We saw how good they were basically from match day one in 2018. And that was at a time when I think Mbappe was still a little bit more of an unknown quantity. And now, like, look, every game Mbappe will score like one absurd banger that only he could score. Um, but Denmark. So I actually, I, I, we haven't really talked about this yet, but international soccer really rewards strong teamwork. And we see that right. all the time. And I right. think this Danish team is particularly strong in that regard. And I think, um, you know, they are, uh, they excel at being more than the sum of their parts. And I think it helps that their parts are in general quite good. And obviously there's a great story, um, you know, with Christian Eriksen returning to, um, you know, form and being able to play at this World Cup after what happened at the last international tournament. But you have the likes of Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, Thomas Delaney, and Christian Eriksen as a midfield three. Um, you know, your back four has Andreas Christensen and Simon Kier, who both play for, you know, top five teams in big five leagues. And then up top, 
you have you know yeah martin braithwaite might not be the the guy who starts all these games but you've got pace on the wings with andreas skov olsen who's been really good this year with Bruja. um you've got the the whole brentford crew and then you've got yusuf paulson uh, and casper dolberg who have been around for a long time now so i think denmark uh, win this group and that's going to be my that's going to be another one of my hot takes um, and unfortunately Australia their golden age of soccer really lapsed like six years ago um, and they've just had a hard time producing quality and I think if you just look at the, the number of goals that players have scored in this squad you know the, their leading goal scorer in this team is Matthew Leckie with with 13 in his career and you know he's someone who left the Bundesliga I mean what three years ago now or two years ago now so I think it's going to be a real uphill struggle for them. And uh, I actually think Australia finished last in this group behind Tunisia. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I'm actually warming up to the idea of, of Denmark, you know, winning out on this group. I think they do, in a similar way to Argentina, really have excellent chemistry, which, as you mentioned, is, is rewarded in tournaments like this. And, you know, they recently played France in a friendly and they won. Um and so obviously, you know, international friendlies in kind of garbage games before the World Cup, you shouldn't read too much into it. But, you know, I can't blame a team for beating another team, right, either. Um, and the squads are relatively similar. So this is another vibes team. And <laughs> they're, they don't, they're not quite good enough to be like dark horse, you know, category. But I think they're the type of team that, you know, if they win or probably especially if they finish second, you know, group winners will not want to face Denmark um, in the round of 16. So I, I like that. I think France, I'm going to go France, Denmark, but I hope you're right in a lot of ways with Denmark topping the group. Nick, your take on the order of teams that exit group D. I think France still have the overall quality to finish first in this group. Kylian Mbappe is still one of the top players in the world. And I think that matters when you're going into a tournament like this that has so many questions hanging over it. And also, you know, the form of players coming in is going to be very different across the board. You know, what players are carrying injuries, fatigue, and the like. The Denmark team is incredibly well coached by Kasper Hulmans. And we saw that in Euro 2020 when I think he was probably the coach who came out of it looking the best, him and Luis Enrique. However, I do just think that overall, this French team still has an immense amount of quality. And also, like Caleb was saying, an immense amount of players who have a lot to prove. And I think if they can go so far as to prove that, they will get out of this group first. I do think Denmark finished a close second. And I could even see you know, that scenario where they finished first. But I, I do think it's going to be France 1, Denmark 2. Group E. Costa Rica, Germany, Japan, and Spain, a group whose vibes would have been really different in World Cup 1940. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what was Costa Rica up to in 1940? <laughs> I don't know. but um, We need to consult the textbooks for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to open up the history books. But I think it was probably still like Chiquita or you know the dole company down there at that point but um gotcha. this group is going to be this group is interesting because you know it's the rare you know wafa group uh with germany and spain um and then you know japan a team that are you know pretty much ever present at world cups uh, and then costa rica who are probably the biggest group stage overachiever in the last you know 15 or 16 years um so again i think this is going to be a really competitive group i think there are 
questions about Germany and Spain, you know, Germany's squad looks incredibly different from how they looked when they famously went out in the group stage um, back in, in, in 2018. Uh, there are some holdovers, you know, Thomas Mueller, the most notable of them. Um, but, you know, the question is, you know, who takes over, who takes over the mantle in midfield? Can Kai Havertz carry the goal scoring load with, with no Timo Werner? Um, how does no Hansi Flick, how does Hansi Flick balance <laughs> this squad? And um, look, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really interesting how this Germany team gets on because the talent is clearly there. The configuration, though, might not be super present right now. So I'm very, very curious to see how uh, the Mannschaft uh, look in what is going to be a, a, a very difficult group. No cakewalks in this group. No, certainly not. Um, this is obviously, like Nathan was saying, the rare case in which we're going to get two of the heavyweights facing off in the group stage. I think... This Caleb can speak more to this, obviously, but I think the Spain team is incredibly interesting because Luis Enrique has really doubled down on some of his favorites. He's left players like Thiago Alcantara and Sergio Ramos at home and instead is bringing, you know, the likes of Dani Olmo, um, Hugo Guillemon, Gavi is back in the team, Carlos Soler from PSG. And then obviously going going forward, Nico Williams is going to get a huge opportunity, the young player from Athletic Club Bilbao, the younger brother of Anaki. Uh, Pablo Sarabia, who is clearly a favorite of Enrique's after getting a lot of time, playing time, I thought, in Euro 2020. And Alvaro Morata and Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati make up the rest of that attacking force going forward. There is, you know, a lot of questions, I think, about, you know, how well the Spain team are going to perform. I do think Luis Enrique, for my money, is the best coach at this tournament. I just wonder if he's, you know, left some integral pieces back at home. And if he's sort of him doubling down on his favorites might be might be a little concerning. I'm not entirely sure that I, I fully believe that, but it is definitely something to look at. I think from a Germany perspective, Hansi Flick is a great coach. This Germany team cannot keep a clean sheet uh, to save their life. I think defending is a huge question for them. Obviously that 3-3 draw against England was their last game in which they had a lot of defensive lapses. Their defense is not as tight at the back as we have seen in previous tournaments. A lot of new names, just like we were talking about with France. Um, Lucas Klosterman, David Raum from RB Leipzig, Armella Belakotchap, who has not played much for Southampton, but he's an incredibly young player. Uh, Neko Schlotterbach and Niklas Sula, who have made up one of the leakiest Borussia Dortmund defenses in the past few seasons. I think a lot of this team is going to rest on the midfield of whether or not Ilkay Gundogan, Goretzka, and Kimmich can sort of keep the ball, marshal the ball, and create safe chances for Germany and make sure that things don't get too chaotic. And going forward, they can hurt people with the likes of um, Leroy Zane, Gnabry, and I think Jonas Hoffman, who is one of the more underrated players going into this World Cup, is a very, very deft attacker, great winger, can play on the left or the right, can even play going through the middle, and is going to be an integral piece. And shout out to Mario Goetze, you know, making the squad. This is something that we talked about in our group chat. You know, definitely a feel-good inclusion, uh, the man who scored the winning goal in 2014, making his um, return to a big stage international football. I, hmm. <laughs> I think Spain go. I think Spain finish first. I think they win the game against Germany personally, or it could be a draw. I do think Spain go through first with Germany going through second. 
Okay, my my takes. I guess I'll start with Spain. And and I think this was a team where, you know, Luis Enrique really did make some big decisions. As you mentioned, he left Thiago home in the midfield. He also left, you know, Fabian Ruiz, who'd been, you know, present for the last few seasons in the squad, who just hasn't really gotten many minutes at um, PSG and probably wishes he had never left, you know, Napoli. He left De Gea home. That wasn't, you know, a huge surprise given... Um, the fact that De Gea hasn't really been in the team for a while now, even though, you know, two of the other keepers um, in the squad, Raya and Sanchez, play in England. Um, he left Borja Iglesias home, who I think is the top scoring Spaniard in La Liga this year. And I think Ansu Fati kind of got his place. Um, Alvaro Morata is the only, you know, out and out striker. Um, in the team. And then another player who I thought would sneak in, given the fact that Sociedad are third in La Liga right now, um, is Mikel Marino, who's been really good in the past few seasons. And I think um, will probably feel a little hard done by to get left out in favor of some of those Atleti midfielders like, you know, Coque and Marcos Llorente, who I think Enrique likes, but have not been in, you know, spectacular form for Atleti. Overall, I think this Spain team really is set up for 2026. So I think it's very youth focused. And I think Enrique is trying to get some of those young players minutes to prepare them for 2026 when a lot of them will be sort of closer to their prime and I think really ready to make a splash. Um, But I think this is a really fun team to watch and I think they could go far. They definitely are a lot more balanced than the Germany team, which as you mentioned, their defense is a mess. They don't really have any true or at least, you know, high quality wide backs. They don't have a real striker in their team. Um, and while, you know, Makoko has been in good form, I'm not sure he's ready um, to sort of lead a, you know, World Cup squad. Like he's not, you know, as good as Mbappe was, you know, at his age. So they're not really comparable. It's a little sad that, you know, someone like Marco Royce um, was injured, you know, again for this tournament. I think uh, this Japan team is is pretty solid, um, and I think people tend to underestimate them a little bit. I'm not sure this Germany team is set up for success, and so my hot take here is that I think they finished third in the group. Um, I think Japan grabs second. I think Spain take first, because they are you know the most balanced, even if they're a little bit green. Um, and then Costa Rica are not gonna repeat you know, 2014 heroics jill campbell um (laughs) might might score and then there'll be some story about remember (laughs) joe campbell um but that's that's my take i think this germany team is is pretty unbalanced um right now and that will kind of be the end um of them it's kind of crazy the top four cap getters in this costa rica squad celsa borges brian ruiz jill campbell and Kaylor navas have about 500 caps between the four of them which is Pretty ridiculous uh, when you consider that Costa Rica has pretty consistently been that third qualifier from CONCACAF. So I actually am going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that Germany and Spain, well, I'm not really going out on a limb. Germany and Spain are both going to qualify, but Spain is going to qualify on goal difference over Japan. So uh, I think it's going to be tight in the middle uh, in this one. Nathan Um, introducing the goal difference. Yeah, I know. Equation. Wow. No, it's like yeah, um, I, think... I feel like I feel like um, you know, in 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 whatever Harry Potter book that was, when he bets on uh, 
the team to 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 grab the snitch but also to lose or to lose yeah that's how i feel right now (laughs) i think to caleb's point we should not discount japan in this tournament they are perennially uh at these things they perform extremely well they're quite organized i remember that incredible game in the the knockout phases against belgium last time against belgium in which they absolutely could have gone through had it not been for that heartbreaking finish for them uh so and they come into this with some really some really interesting pizza uh pieces you know daichi kamada who was a part of that eintracht frankfurt team that won the europa league last season and obviously nathan's very own yeah, um, Tamiyasu, baby. Indeed. So yeah, a lot of quality players. You know, Takumi Minamino, who has been scoring goals in Liga for Monaco, doing quite well. But yeah, I think there's I think as Caleb said, Japan should not be a team that we discount either. Absolutely. And speaking of that Japan Belgium game back in twenty eighteen, group F, which uh, I think is probably my favorite group in this World Cup, just based on vibes. Uh this is also, gonna be I so think fun. it's I think it's the most it's competitive so too. Far and away the most competitive. Um, um, Belgium, Morocco, Canada, and Croatia. So you've got another dual UEFA group with you know a a super tricky Morocco team, and then you know a Canada team that has for the first time ever um, on the men's side of things a a superstar, uh, and also um, you know just great vibes going into a tournament that they'll co-host in 2026. So legitimately any team in this group could end up going through which i don't think is the case for you know six of the eight groups at this world cup and uh yeah i'm really excited to see caleb what uh i'm gonna make you go first with your takes this time where where these teams finish out when all said and done sure so you know i think this this belgium team is in a a deep state of transition i'm not sure we can really say that they're still you know, in their golden generation, um, they definitely have some, you know, quality players in the team, you know, like Courtois, like obviously, you know, Kevin De Bruyne as well, Lukaku, you know, if he's really fit to play. But then we have a bunch of, I think, fallen stars in a lot of ways, you know, Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld, who both play back in the Belgian league now, um, you know, Axel Witzel, who I don't think has been especially good at, at Letty as a this center year. Back, yeah. Uh, Eden Hazard, who is like the sixth choice, you know, forward for for Madrid um, right now. Dries Mertens, who, you know, has left the top five leagues and now plays at Galatasaray, you know, similar with, you know, Nishibat Shuai, etc. So I'm not sure this is, you know, a vintage Belgium team, um, even though they, you know, still have a very good squad overall. But I think that makes them vulnerable um, in a lot of ways. Canada, Canada. I think has been the best CONCACAF team um, by some margin. And I think their star players like Alfonso Davies, like Jonathan David um, tend to hit higher heights than like the U S and Mexico's, you know, similar stars as well. Morocco are, you know, a really strong team. And then Croatia who of course in 2018 made it all the way to the final. They're older now, um, but they still have Modric who, you know, is still turning out, you know, great appearances for Real Madrid. I think Belgium finish second here. Um, and I actually think Canada are going to win. Um, wow, that is a wild oh, Canada. I have, I, I, you're off on both of those counts. So, Nick, you go next. <laughs> wow. 
I can't believe that. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you guys have said. I think Canada, we've talked about it on this podcast, how are, are one of the feel-good stories going into this tournament. I think they have some incredible pieces to play with. I think they're incredibly organized. I've seen them play live against the U.S. in a game where they probably should have come out victorious. I have tremendous faith in Canada, in Alfonso Davies, uh, in the setup of this Canadian national team. I do think they go through. I think they go through second to the Belgian national team, who, although the glory days of the golden generation are definitely either have passed us by or starting to pass us by, they still have the likes of Kevin De Bruyne. They still have the likes of the Hazards uh, to come in and do some damage. I just think there's still enough quality overall in this Belgian team to 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 make a mark at this tournament and at least get to the knockout phases. They are the number two ranked team in the FIFA rankings coming into this tournament. And I think they have just about enough quality overall to get them through. So I think... You know, Carrasco is still a great player. Yuri Tillemans, even though Lester's, Lester have struggled, is still a great player. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously. I don't know. You know, Lukaku has been a disaster <laughs> this season. But he's still someone who I think could uh, put on a shirt for Belgium and do the business. I just think there's there's a little bit too much quality to be contended with. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting that um, you guys are both very high on... Um high on on belgium although nick i think you were a little bit more tempered in your in, in your assumption there i think that Morocco... i put belgium second and nick put belgium first how is he the more tempered one here <laughs> because he pointed out more of their weaknesses. so i think belgium i think belgium is, don't okay, go whatever through. I, I think belgium don't go through uh, i definitely I think... didn't point out more of their weaknesses I, I don't know. Hey, whatever i'm moving on from this yeah, let, let him talk. Speaking, of, speaking of Belgian. Yeah, yes. um, um, it was well-timed. Um, I think Morocco and Croatia go through. And yeah, I'm the resident Morocco defender, um, you know, and, and always have been. But Sneaky, this Morocco team is really, really fun. They looked really good um, in their qualifiers and, and sort of beat up on a bunch of teams uh, in, in Africa leading up into this tournament. Uh, a, a big wild card for them is uh, Ilyas Cher, who is, I think, the second highest rated player in the championship right now. Uh, and he reminds me a little bit of Adele Tarapt, and not just because they both are sort of like tricky outside midfielders who play for QPR. Hello. Um, and are Moroccan, right? Or is Tarot yeah, exactly. Algerian? Tarot is a... He's Moroccan. Tarot's Moroccan, Moroccan, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this team is going to be really fun. Uh, you know, they've got they've got Ziyech back in the squad and, uh, you know, Mazraoui back in the squad. They had beef with uh, Hamzidic, their previous coach. So... Um, Do they have Abdeh in this squad, which will be interesting? Uh, it should be it should be fun. Um, you know, he I, I would imagine he'll get some good playing time. Although they do have some very prolific strikers who play, um, you know, outside of Europe's top five leagues. So I'm curious there. But then again, I just think Croatia again are a very experienced team, and I think they are going to be a nice foil for Belgium. Um, and I think Canada actually doesn't pick up a single point in this group stage. That's Oof. Uh, you know, I think. I think we've we we saw Canada look pretty good, but at the end of the day, you're basically relying on Alfonso Davies plus a 40 year old Atiba Hutchinson, Junior Hoylet who was washed, 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 Lucas Cavallini who was bad for Vancouver this last season, Jonathan David, uh, Jonathan David who's pretty good. I, I mean, look, they're going to be good on the counter, but like 
look, you're seriously going to say that a team that's going to probably be starting like Alistair Johnson at right back and like Steven Vittoria. Of- whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I went to Alistair Johnson at an airport one time. He was very nice. So maybe I retract that statement. But like, look, this team is starting like mid-tier Canadian MLS players alongside. Whoa, whoa. They are not going to be competitive in this group. Uh, and right. frankly, I will sing O Canada live on the podcast if they win more than one game. All right. Well, you heard it here first. More than one game or just one game? Uh, if they were, if they accumulate three points. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the point is this is an incredibly balanced group overall. No team is, I think, perfect or a knockout. Um, but that's why I'm excited about it because I think every single match is intriguing. Group G, though, to sort of keep things moving along, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. I think Brazil are the safe favorites here and are one of the favorites um, in the tournament, in a tournament that Neymar said would be his last um, World Cup as well, something he has not delivered. This is still a fairly competitive group, <laughs> but Brazil will win. Thank you. That's my story. Caleb, remind me of the nickname for Brazil again. No. Um, Nick, Brazil, Cameroon, Serbia, Switzerland. Uh, Serbia, Switzerland are, I, I would imagine, going to be fighting for that second spot, despite the fact that Cameroon, um, you know, have a, a good amount of experience. I just, I think they're just going to end up being, um, you know, outclassed, uh, despite Vincent Abubakar uh, believing that he is basically Mo Salah uh, without the opportunity of playing for a team like Liverpool. Can we talk um, about this for a sec? What? Why? That was an insane have... statement. Well, no, because here's the thing. This is not the first time he's said, like, something egregious against Mo Salah in, like, the past five years. Like, this man has, has like, a vendetta against Mo Salah or some sort of, like, you know, inferiority conflict uh, complex against Mo Salah. But that's for a podcast for another time. Yeah, I think this is definitely the group in which these three teams are going to be fighting for second place. I think Brazil... I know that people are very much in love with Argentina right now. I am in love with Argentina. I do hope they do well. I just think this Brazil team coming into this tournament are the most well-rounded side. They are they have the side with the most depth. They have the side with the least amount of injuries going into this tournament. Um, the vibe around the Brazil camp is incredible right now with Chiche. Just despite recent politics, yeah. Oh, right. Despite, you know, the the election in Brazil not going the way of many of um, their star players. But yeah, just looking at, you know, their last starting 11 against Tunisia, you could even, they beat them 5-1. You could say that, like, this isn't even the best team that they could have thrown at Tunisia. You know, Vinicius Jr. came off the bench. Um, Anthony came off the bench. Rodrigo came off the bench. Militao didn't even start. Bremer didn't even start. Ederson didn't start. Fabinho didn't start. Um Gabriel Jesus is in the squad after having an incredible uh, first half of the campaign with Arsenal, as is Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, Rafinha has been lights out for the Brazil national team, consistently contributing goals and assists. And Neymar has been playing in this really interesting kind of like left midfield, center attacking mid left role where he has kind of the freedom of the entirety of the pitch. And if they can get him into those positions and have him dictate the play for the likes of Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus, Rafinha. Um, I think Casemiro and Fred will be on it as they are always for TJ and his system. I think this team is going to go incredibly far and could probably win the entire thing in Qatar. I see, I think Switzerland know how to qualify out of these groups. 
I think Noah Okafor is an incredibly intriguing player on the wing. Jordan Shakiri knows what he's doing in these tournaments. Extremely experienced player. Granit Xhaka has been very good for Arsenal this season. Um, at the back, they'll have experienced hands like Akanji. I just think it'll be Switzerland and Brazil coming out of this group, the two most experienced teams. I'm going to go with Brazil and Serbia, um, just because I like the presence that a potential strike partnership of Dusan Vlahovic and Alexander Mitrovic could have with with Tadic playing on the wings. Um, and obviously, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic has been really good this year um, in Serie A as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Switzerland will have to win. I mean, Switzerland will need to win their game against Cameroon. And then, um, you know, they'll they'll need to get a result against Serbia if they want to go through. Uh, this Brazil team is just so good. And like, we thought that the Brazil team in 2014 was good, but that Brazil team was still starting Joe and Fred at striker. This is far and away the most complete Brazil squad. And frankly, the most complete squad at this World Cup. Um, they've got world-class talent in every position, um, you know, even with, you know, the potential Danny Alves, uh, Danny Alves at right back. Like, look, they still have, this team still has Danilo, Alexandro, uh, you know, Militao, Alex Tellish as their backup options, you know, like this is just a ridiculously stacked team. Like so much to the point where like Rafinha is probably not going to get any playing time in this tournament. Um, and the Casemiro Fred partnership for whatever reason is like unbelievable on the international stage. Um, and that's not even counting someone like Bruno Guimaraes, who like, you know, and Lucas Paqueta, who have both been, um, I think, the better, two of the better midfielders in the Prem this season. So, yeah, it's going to be nuts. This Brazil team is so good. Um, a Brazil-Argentina Super Classico World Cup final would probably end up as uh, the most watched sporting event of all time. And frankly, I think, so, right? I think it would just be, I think it would just be awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for that to happen. Okay. I Caleb, think I who goes through? Yeah, I think uh, I'm going Brazil and, and Switzerland, um, personally. And now we move on to the final group, um, where My there's boys. so many storylines going on here. Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and Korea. We might as well start with Portugal, right? <laughs> they're they're <laughs> the natural favorites um, for this group, but... As of what, yesterday, their, in theory, star player, even though I'm not sure he's the best player in the team anymore, Cristiano Ronaldo gave a wide-ranging interview with, with Piers Morgan where he basically blamed everyone but himself um, for you know, his lack of game time at Manchester United. He said that you know, Ten Hag had disrespected him, et cetera, et cetera. He's also launching an NFT. Um, yeah, right on time. So... Today, some videos came out. You know, the Portugal team is now in Qatar and training. Um, and he received what can only be described as a fairly frosty um, reception by several of his teammates. Bruno Fernandes, you know, club and national team teammate who kind of gave him a, a limp pat on the shoulder. And then Ronaldo tried to, you know, have some fun with uh, Cancelo, who just completely ignored him. Um, the vibes are bad in this team. And I think... Ronaldo has gone, you know, full can't accept his own kind of mortality phase. Um, and I think that's really torpedoing, you know, what is a talented Portugal team, you know, despite, you know, missing some players like, you know, Jota due to injury. But give, give me your Ronaldo and Portugal takes, um, both of you. 
I think more than Ronaldo, um, you know, Fernando Santos is, um, I think he's really on the hot seat. And frankly, if it hadn't been for, you know, the luckiest, you know, major trophy win that any of us have seen in our lifetime back in 2016, I think he would have been long gone. Um, you know, a lot of Portuguese fans really, really want him to be sacked. Uh, you know, they they lost in the round of six, uh, the round of 16 at the Euros, one um, nil to Belgium. This this they lost to you know Uruguay two one um, in the World Cup back in 2018. Uh, this team is just again awaiting a metamorphosis that will not happen until Ronaldo is dragged, sort of kicking and screaming um, from this team. So. I am less sold on on Portugal being serious contenders for the tournament. I do think that they will probably get out of this group. But again, like if any of the biggest teams are going to get upset, it would be Portugal because we know that South Korea always overperform um, in the World Cup. And tactically, South Korea is just so, so versatile. And frankly, this is a really good Uruguay team as well. Um, and, and Uruguay, again, are a team that, seem to rise to the occasion in world cups so portugal um you know bad vibes all around and you know barring a sort of miraculous tournament from someone like joao felix um or or bernardo silva like i'm not sure who is going to carry this team because ronaldo is not capable of doing it anymore I still think I still think Portugal have the pieces to go through in this tournament. Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva in midfield, that is a lot more than anyone else in this group can contest with. Andre Silva is an incredibly capable striker to pick up some of the slack, especially especially since Diogo Jota is going to need to be sitting this tournament out quite sadly. I think he would have been an X factor for this Portugal side. Yeah, I mean, João Felix, this is a huge tournament for him. I, I think we're kind of hitting the make or break stage in terms of is he going to be a megastar going forward for the next seven or eight years or is he going to be you know a player that Atleti paid over the odds for and never really developed into a megastar status and I think this tournament could go a long way in dispelling some of that. Uh, Matias Nunez that move really hasn't worked out for him so far for Wolves can he kick it into some kind of form uh, to propel Portugal into the knockout rounds uh, but yeah I mean the Ronaldo business is incredibly unfortunate i think it was an incredibly selfish move from him just in terms of the fact that it was clearly just so that he could secure himself a way out of manchester united with no real thought to the fact that you know he was kind of throwing everyone involved under the bus you know bruno fernandes obviously didn't want to interact with him when he arrived at portugal training joao cancelo had a moment with him on the training pitch where it looked like Cancelo didn't want anything to do with him. So yeah, Ronaldo really coming in and ruining the vibes of this Portugal team before the World Cup. Uh, Wait, Uruguay, you're saying Ronaldo didn't think about how his actions might affect people other than shocking. himself? Dude, <laughs> Incredibly makes, shocking, I know. When he makes Piers Morgan look like the sane person in an interview, that's like super concerning. Yeah, guys, Wayne Rooney is just... Uh, <laughs> Is just uh, I, I riding his <laughs> riding his coattails, and Gary Neville only uses him for TV time, and that's why he snubbed him and won't get dinner with him. You know, poor Gary Neville, who thought I'd be saying that. But yeah, South Korea looks like Hoonmin Son is going to be ready to go for this tournament. He's going to be playing in the Dark Knight mask to uh, protect his face um, from that. I think it was an orbital bone injury that he that he picked up uh, towards the end of uh, Spurs's run in this calendar year. Uh, Uruguay, my guy, Darwin Nunes has been banging them in. For Liverpool, 
and I think he's going to bang them in for Uruguay if he gets the chance. He is someone who is the perfect player to bring the chaos to the international stage, and I think, oh, in my humble opinion, Fede Valverde, Fede Valverde, and Betancourt indeed, is a really yes. good midfield too for uh, for a four-four-two yeah. playing team. I, I really I love this Uruguay team, and I think Portugal and Uruguay go through here. Hmm. I, I also think Portugal and Uruguay go through. I want to say that Uruguay win the group, but but you're right. In the end, Portugal does have the most quality. But I do think, you know, we will see come, you know, like the first game of this group, how badly affected the Portugal mentality is by, you know, the Ronaldo antics. And I think that will be kind of the key question for them going forward. Korea, as you mentioned, you know, have some impact players. And I think, you know, as we saw when they didn't they beat Germany in the last World Cup, um, you know, they, they can get it they done, did. but they don't have the depth throughout, um, even though they do have, you know, some good players. And then I think Ghana have a really interesting team, you know, and Yaki Williams, who was never quite good enough to break into the Spain team, has kind of changed um or has decided to represent Ghana. Um, and so I think he'll be motivated there. Um, you know, Tariq Lamptey as well, I think could have a good tournament. Um, so I think this is another, you know, like solid group throughout. There's no team that's clearly just going to get absolutely, you know, blown up by the other. But in the end, I do think it's probably somewhat unfortunately Portugal won, you know, Uruguay two, but I don't think Portugal are going to be sort of major impact players later on in this tournament. Yeah, I think um, I think Portugal. I actually think Portugal still go through ahead of Uruguay, um, but uh, South Korea. You know, all it takes is a South Korea win over Portugal, and then I think that sort of upsets the the whole balance of things. So um, I'm I'm super super curious. I think in particular groups groups F and uh, and groups. F and B, so the England US group uh, and the Canada, Croatia, Mexico, or rather Canada, Croatia, Morocco, Belgium group. I think those are probably my favorite groups to watch at, at this stage. But look, like as, as of the time of recording, we are five days away from the opening match on Sunday. Um, and again, it is a bit of a slow starter. Qatar, Equ uh, Qatar Ecuador on Sunday. And then um, we go straight into things on Monday with Senegal, Netherlands, USA, Wales, and England, Iran. So um presumably we will be back next week to to recap some of those games and um yeah excited for this winter world cup tournament um and we'll probably have more on the uh i guess the fan experience and socio-political side of things as this tournament unfolds as well is there anything else that we want to touch on before uh we bid adieu no i think you know yeah we can talk in more detail about yeah, some of the background context for this tournament as it goes on. But in this episode, I think we should at least, you know, briefly mention and say that this World Cup was, you know, corruptly given to Qatar very clearly, and it has resulted in, you know, deaths of literally thousands of migrant workers who could not leave the country or stop doing their work. And I think that's definitely a shadow that hangs over this entire event for the next month. And I think it's something that lots of teams, you know, especially, you know, Australia, for instance, put out a really good video ahead of the tournament that, that they're aware of. And so um, I just want to make sure that's 
captured um, before we kind of start the tournament as well. Yeah. And I think um, a good thing to direct people towards would be Bruno Fernandes' comments uh, following the Manchester United game a few days ago. I think he was, of any player thus far, the most direct in condemning a lot of what we've seen uh, in the way that this World Cup has been organized, in the immense you know loss of life that has gone into making this World Cup happen, the, the abuse of migrant workers, and just the overall sort of corruptness and upending of the football calendar and the football structure that we've seen kind of go into making this World Cup happen, both in terms of you know human rights abuses, a, a lack of care for player welfare, uh, amongst many other uh, various administrative issues, I think. So I think that's something that, like Caleb was saying, we'll definitely touch on in the future, but it's important to highlight now, absolutely. Yeah, and I would just add on the um, the the anti-equality values of Qatar, I think, should have rendered them unfit for um, being a host nation for uh, a global tournament. Um, and we'll talk about this more at length next time when uh, the World Cup is underway. And unfortunately, as is the case with um, with much of the world, it's hard to um, it's hard to contemplate the idea of boycotting an event that carries with it so much weight. And so I think the best we can do is sort of talk about it um, as much as possible. Uh, but until next time, I think I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. Nick Vinden. Enjoy the World Cup. Yeah, next time we'll be able to be there in person. Um, but we will see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>